I want to ask you a question. Do you know God? Like, do you really, truly know him? Do you know what he's like? Do you know what he loves? Do you know what he hates? Do you commune with him or do you talk with him? Do you have an actual relationship with him? I want you to think about that for a moment. Like, do you really know God? And do you really know his son, Jesus Christ? In John chapter 17, verse 3, verse 3, it says this, this is what eternal life is. Jesus is praying just before he's, just before he's about to go to the cross. He prays, he says, this is what eternal life is. That they, meaning you and me, would know the only true God and the one he sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus says that's what the goal of our entire faith is. That's the goal of everything is knowing God, knowing him in a real relationship, ongoing relationship where you know what he's like, you know what he cares about, you know what he loves, you know what he hates, and you have an ongoing conversation with that God in heaven. And the question is, do you know him? Because that is what eternal life is going to be. It's all about whether you know him or you don't. And that was the point of Jesus coming, right? The whole scene, the whole vibe of Jesus coming to earth was all about knowing God and putting us in a position to then know God, right? Because what did he do? The first thing he did is he came and he lived a life in order to be the image of our Father in heaven. That's what Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says. It says, he is the image of the invisible God. He came to reveal what the Father in heaven is like. He was the mirror image of him. Why do you have a mirror? So you can see what things really are. And that's what Jesus came to be, the image, the mirror of our Father in heaven to reveal to you and me what he's like so we can know him. And the second thing he did then is by his death and resurrection, he cleansed us from the thing that separated us from our Father in heaven, which was our sinfulness. He removed that from us through a thing called expiation. His death on the cross was the sacrifice that cleansed you and me by faith. And so now, through that act, through him coming and him dying and resurrecting from the dead, he then gives us both the knowledge and the ability to then, as Paul says in Acts chapter 17, to reach out and find him. To reach out and find him. To, by faith, possess a real relationship, an active relationship with our Father in heaven and with his Son, our mediator, Jesus Christ. The relationship with this Son, Jesus Christ, then consists of following Him obediently as the Lord or Master over our lives, in which we live to be conformed to His image. That means we live following Him obediently in order that we might be changed to become just like Him through the power of the Holy Spirit that the Father and the Son have sent to live inside of you. But this obedience to the Son is not limited to an obligation. 
It's not limited to some duty that's pressed upon you, some law, some speed limit that's given to you that you must follow or the police officer in heaven is going to come after you. You see, Paul, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, it's what I read actually at the beginning of the service this morning. He prays this prayer and he teaches us, what does it actually look like to be sanctified? What does it look like for you and me to be conformed to the image of the Son. What's that process? And here's what he prays. He says, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Jesus Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here's what he just said. Here's the process of you becoming like Jesus Christ. He said, I pray that your knowledge of your Father in heaven, the knowledge of the gospel, what he has done through you in sending his son for you, I pray that your knowledge, you would grow in this knowledge. And what would that lead to? You to approve things that are superior. What does he mean by that? He prays that this increased knowledge of your God in heaven would lead to increased affections in your heart towards your Father in heaven, which would then lead you to be pure and blameless, which means this, that your growth in your knowledge would lead to an increase in your affections towards your Father in heaven, which would lead toward an increase in obedience in your life. And you notice this, the obedience then, this living a pure and blameless life according to what God calls us to do is not an obligation or a duty at this point. It's out of love or it's out of affection. I've given you guys this illustration several times before, but whenever I was dating Dara, right, and I found out that she loved me and she wrote me a letter and said, I love you, and I would read that. And I would obsess over it and I would read it over and over and over again. I love you. She loves me. She loves me. You know, like, what happened at that point? The more I knew about how she felt about me led to increased affections in my heart, which led me to sacrifice more to be with her to where the actions I took to be with her were no longer an obligation or something that I did out of a duty, but it was something that I desired to do. I gave up certain things in order to be with her. Why? Because that's where my affections were. And Paul says, that's how your sanctification works. That's how God works in your heart to make you more like Christ. The more you know about him, the more you love him, which leads you to obey him because you do it out of love for him. Does that make sense? That's what Paul prays. Now, for years, as a church, we have existed with the, with the mantra or the, the mission statement of we glorify God by knowing Christ and making Him known, right? We glorify Him by knowing Christ and making Him known. Why do we do that? Why do we have this as our mission statement? It's because that's what Christ said is the purpose of our faith, right? He said this is the purpose of our faith, knowing Him and making Him known. So if we desire to live lives that consist of knowing Him, then what it's going to look like in our lives then is that we love Him back through obeying Him. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. Like we live obedient lives to Christ that is a joy-filled response to him and to what he's done for us. And so now we 
know him. We know him. And as a church, that's our thing. We know him. And so now we collectively desire to obey him. Obey him out of the joy in our hearts, the love that he has placed in our hearts, right? So that's what's happening. So that's where we've been, knowing Christ and making him known. And that's where we're going because we know him and we exist here because we know him. We've come here this morning because we know him and we desire to grow in our knowledge of him. And that's where we're going as a church. We're going to continue to come to know him and to grow deeper in our knowledge of him to lead us to greater affections for him, which would lead to greater obedience to him. That's what we're doing as a church. And at times, catch this, in or out of this relationship with our Savior, he calls us at times to do and to live in ways that are radical to an outside world. At times, our Savior, who calls us to follow Him, calls us to then live in ways that seem completely radical to an unbelieving and outside world. I want you to hear that. Now, why do I tell you this? Because of where we're going. I'm telling you this now because this design of us knowing God and that being the goal of our faith, everything we do is about knowing him and pursuing a relationship with him and responding by love to him. All of that is the lens through which we should look at what we're going to look at this morning, okay? That's why I'm telling you this because what we're doing this morning is we're beginning a series on tithing. And I want you to see it through the lens of it's all about knowing your Savior. That's where it's at. And he does call us to love him with our money. Now, Jesus says this. He says, there is a deep spiritual connection between your heart and your money. He says it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there's a reason. That's so true. There's a reason that when you bring up tithing or giving within a church, it can feel tense, right? Because that's where your heart is. It's not a bad thing. It's good to watch over your money. But there are a few things in your life that are more precious to you than your income. And so Jesus is looking into your life. And he's saying, I want you to follow me with everything in you, and that includes your income. Now, that's a tense thing to hear. Remember, it's all about knowing him. It's all about knowing him and growing deeper with him. And so as we pursue Christ's heart for our church and our lives out of love for him, we need to know what his heart is for our finances. We need to know it. And so to do that, I want to take you back to one of the foundational passages that he tells us about money. I want to take you to Leviticus. So turn with me to Leviticus chapter 27. And here's the context of what's happening here. God is concerned with support or, or financial backing of his tabernacle, the ministry of his tabernacle, and the people that work carrying out the ministry of the tabernacle. God is concerned with that. And so he begins this chapter in giving laws about people giving 
voluntary vows. He said, if you give a vol- if you have, make a vow, you don't have to, but if you do make a vow, here's how you need to carry it out. Because once you say something is holy to God, it's holy to God. You can't take that back. But then he comes to the end of this chapter, and he starts talking about something that's obligatory for all of his people. Well, but first, what was the tabernacle? It was the early temple that God's people carried around with them everywhere they went in the wilderness. And this was the central location of their faith. It was the place where the glory of God dwelled. And so if you wanted to worship God, you needed to go there. And so there was significant ministry being carried out at this tabernacle, and there were a lot of people who were tasked with carrying out that ministry. And so God said, this is so important that I need to make sure that this thing has the financial backing to be able to carry out what I would desire this thing to carry out. And so that's what's happening here. Now, let's read the text, and I want to look at it with you. So go to chapter 27 again, verse 30. It says, every tenth of the land's produce, grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If a man decides to redeem any part of this tenth, he must add a fifth to its value. Every tenth animal from the herd or flock which passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. He is not to inspect whether it is good or bad. And he is not to make a substitution for it. But if he does make a substitution for it, both the animal and its substitute will be holy. They cannot be redeemed. These are the commands that the Lord gave Moses for the Israelites on Mount Sinai. So what God did is he set up a statute for everyone who existed, everyone who lived in the entire Israelite camp. He said, all of your income, of all of your income, Every tenth belongs to me for the support of my temple. And so how they did it is every, every bit of grain that they received, the tenth of the grain that they received, or every, fr- every fruit, every harvest of fruit that they received from their crops, or every tenth animal that they had born that year was given over to God. That's how it worked. That was the theme, the means that God was going to use to support the ministry of his temple. So, I've got something here for you. I went to Walmart this morning. By the way, if you want to go shopping at Walmart when no one is there, go at 8 a.m. on a Sunday. But I've got some apples here. I heard this from a a pastor friend who set this up, and I was like, oh, man, that's brilliant. I've got one mic in my hand, so I can only use one hand doing this. I'm sorry. But... It's a great illustration. Now, if you look at all these apples up here, there are 10 of them. Now, what's common about all these apples? They're all apples. What's different about this one? It's green. And here's what's true. In this text, what God is telling us is that all of the income that you receive is money. It's all money. Just like every one of these apples are apples. But there is a portion of these apples and there's a portion of your money that's different. It's distinct. It's green, right? 
And the same thing is true about what you receive biweekly or weekly or monthly in your bank account. What God says is there is a portion of that that is set apart, that is holy to me. He's like, you can see it all as money. It all looks the same in your account, but there's a portion of it that is set apart, that is distinct from the rest of it, and that is what belongs to me. And so you and I could look at this, and you might think, well, I have an objection to this because I earned that money, right? I went to work. I dug that, you know, I dug, used the ditch witch all week, and I'm the one who dug that thing out, or I'm the one who went and taught those kids all week, or I'm the one who, who went to work and I did all the spreadsheet stuff all week. I'm the one who earned that income. How can God lay any claim to any of this stuff? You see, the Bible, like, or if you and I sell a home, I mean, buy, sorry, guys, I'm mixed up. If you pay off your home, or if you pay off your car, what do you get? The title. And you can rightly call yourself the owner of that house or of that car. But you know what the Bible calls you? A steward. The Bible calls you a steward, not an owner. Why? Because everything you have and everything you'll receive is a gift from your Father in heaven. Everything is given to you from your Father in heaven, your money, your abilities to receive that money, your health to be able to go to work to receive that money, is a gift from your Father in heaven to give you resources then to be able to invest in his purposes in this world. And he says, I'm giving you all of this stuff. There goes my other green apple. He says, I'm giving you all this stuff. And you get to keep 90% of it. But that 10%, is mine. He's like, that 10% is mine. That's what he's saying in this. You're not an owner, you're a steward of the resources that have been given to you. And God saw the ongoing needs of his tabernacle as so important that he set this up as a permanent statute for his people to be carried out year after year to support it. He saw it as that important. So, we have a second follow-up question. Isn't this the law? Like, isn't this the Old Testament law that doesn't really apply to us anymore, plus the tithe was about the temple, not the church? And so, how do you make sense of that? What do you do with that? In both of those questions, I'm going to say, you're right. You're exactly right. This is the Old Testament law that no longer applies to you in this meaningful sense. And meaningful, that's the wrong word. It doesn't apply to you in this coercive sense. And it was about the temple, not the church. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. You see, in Christ, you and I have been released or set free from the burden of the law because he became a curse for us, right? He became the cursed one who went to the tree to release us from the burden of the law. So now, no longer do we feel the burden of the law upon us, but we live in grace. We walk by freedom because of what Jesus did. But catch this. By his act of dying on the cross and resurrecting from the dead, he actually moved the central location of the Hebrew religion from their temple to our hearts collectively. That's why the temple is no longer the place. 
Because what happened? He said, no longer do you need to go to this temple to find me, but what am I going to do? I'm going to send the Spirit to come and dwell inside of you. You are now the central location of our religion, us collectively together. And so it's no longer in this temple, but it's in our church body. We are now the central location of our faith because this is where God dwells inside of us. You are the temple of God. And so now, as Normandale, we are a local manifestation of that new spiritual reality brought about by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we are as a church. Therefore, now that we are no longer under the burden of the law, And now that we are collectively the new central location of our faith, the place where we come and find God, how much more then should we be moved to support the ongoing ministry of what God is wanting to do here at our local church? How much more should we desire to give to support the ongoing needs and ministry of this church? How much more should we be giving to that? Like not, as Paul says, like Paul says this in in 2 Corinthians 9, not reluctantly or out of compulsion since God loves a cheerful giver. We don't do it out of compulsion anymore, but it's out of love that stems from our knowledge of God, our relationship with God, the affections that we have resulting from our knowledge of Him that leads us then to desire, to sacrifice, to preserve and to promote His church here. That is what we desire to do. So here, listen to this. Let your relationship with Christ, your knowing God, lead you to be filled with such love that you joyfully respond to His radical call to give 10% of your income here. Let your knowing God lead you to obey the radical call to give 10% of your income here to carry out the ongoing ministry of our local church. You see, money is one of the biggest fuels for ministry. It's not the only fuel, but it's one of the biggest fuels for ministry. Just as the temple required money, so does our local church. And so that's why God set this this up, right? Right? And so there's so many things that we desire to do, and money is the fuel to be able to do it, to grow deeper in our walks with Christ, to be able to promote discipleship, to be able to plant churches. We've planted one church. We've planted one and a half as a a church family. And our desire is to do 10 times that. We want to be a sending church. What's our limiting factor? Money. We desire to promote, to like hire staff, to be able to facilitate other, other ministries here. We would love to be able to promote women's ministry from a staff perspective. We would love to be, be able to promote counseling here. We would love to be able to promote so many things, but what's the limiting factor? Money. That is, that's what's constraining. That's what's constraining a lot of our desires here, right? And I'm not telling you, man, we're in like, we're doing this because we're in a financial problem. No, I'm saying this is an act of obedience to Christ. And our giving, our being obedient to Christ is what is going to fuel the amount of ministry that we as a local church can do moving forward. Now, the only way for this command to make sense to all of us, 
to you, to your spouse, to your family, is to see it for what it really is. Living out, giving away 10% of your income is truly an act of worship. It is an act of worship. If you are saying, I'm going to trust Christ and what he calls me to do, and I'm going to trust that he's going to care for our family because this is a lot of money. But he calls me to do it, and so therefore I'm going to obey him, and I'm going to worship him in this manner. It's an act of worship. You see, our hearts are so filled with love for Christ based on our knowledge for him and our relationship with him that we are willing and even desire to allow him to shape how we handle things as important to us as our money. So hear the call. Hear the call this morning. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And what does Jesus say your heart is tied to? Your money. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So commit to give your tithe here. Now, here's your task for this morning. We're not putting QR codes on the screen this morning where I'm saying, hey, set it up right now. You need to talk with your wife. But here's your task for this morning. I learned this from JT. I want you to, if you've got a pen, I want you to write this down. If you've got your phone, I want you to pull out the notes app. I want you to write this down. If you're married, write this down. I will pray and talk to my spouse about what is co- God is calling us to give. And if you're not married, just write this down. I will pray about what God is calling me to give. That's it. That's your task for today. And so, what we're going to do next is we are going to promote this. We are going to go back to taking our offering up. Now, the reason we're doing this is we're going back to pre-COVID. We, before COVID, we passed it every week, the offering plates. And we're doing it again now because I've heard from the deacons, heard from the personnel team, heard from the finance team. Everyone, in all these conversations with these different groups of people, they're all like, we need to do this just as a reminder for us, as a reminder for us that this is an act of worship. And I was like, it took me a while, but after several months, I was like, you know what? Let's do it. And so in October, November, we said, okay, starting in January, we're going to do it. And uh, so this morning, this is week one. And so I'm going to pray for us. Then the band's going to come up. And as the band comes up, once we follow, uh, once I finish praying, if you're going to take up the offering, if you're one of the deacons who set up to do that, y'all go ahead and come up once I finish praying as well. So let's go before our Father in heaven and pray.